This is normally where I lay one up at the net and let John spike it to tell you what's on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, but John's on vacation this week. So I'm here to tell you I'm going to do a little bit of a monologue on where I think the Yankees are at now. Billy Epler, the general manager of the Mets, is going to join us to talk about the trade deadline, the present, and the future of the club and himself, what his role is. And I think I'm going to do a hit or error at the end about the colossal blunder of the Baltimore Orioles. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. So this is the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, but uh, if you're watching us on the Yes app or listening to us on the podcast, you're not hearing the other side of uh, the conversation. John Heyman's on vacation this week, so I'm going to try to do this solo. And I thought since we have Billy Epler as our guest today talking about the Mets, I figured let, let, let's try to do a little deep dive into the Yankees. And since I don't have John here to bounce it off, I figured let, let, let me put down some thoughts on where I think the Yankees are right now and why they're there and see if I can put it all in one place at one time since I knew I'd have the time and the ability to do it by myself. And I want to begin at the winter meetings of 2018 because at those winter meetings, uh, Brian Cashman, when he was asked why they weren't signing, signing Bryce Harper, mentioned that he, his team was a fully functioning Death Star. And I think what he meant by that was that they had it kind of going on at every facet of the organization. And he had created real clear divisions and a process of how they made decisions. And, you know, by July of 2016, he had accumulated enough power that for the only time in 50 years of Steinbrenner ownership, they were sellers, notably of uh, Chapman and Miller. They made big trades. And the next year, surprisingly, they got all the way to ALCS game seven. The year after that, they won 100 games for the first time since they, the championship in 2009. And, you know, in that moment, you could see what Cashman probably meant, right? It was humming on all levels. In 2019, they'd win 103 games in their first division since 2013. They'd get knocked out again by the Astros in the ALCS, but they hit a record 306 homers that year, even without Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, who everyone screamed for. And then they took Garrett Cole away from the Astros. This should seem like a moment where things rise. And yet... Things begin to go the other way here. And I know everyone always wants to say Cashman's an idiot and they don't do anything right, but you should be a fan of the Angels or the White Sox or about 10 other teams. The Yankees do a lot right. You know, if you turn two non-entities into Clay Holmes, you kind of have an, and you have an organization that A, knows how to find talent and then knows how to fix talent. So let's not act like nothing ever goes right here. But I want to dig into some of the stuff that's gone wrong in the Death Star, and really stuff I think that Hal Steinbrenner has to ask Brian Cashman as he figures out what to do moving forward. Keep Brian Cashman, try to fix it, etc. And the first question I would ask is, are the Yankees too easily locked into theories? You know, in 2018 and 19, they won 203 games, and they played what I would call casino baseball. Why casino baseball? If you think of like counting cards and blackjack, the idea is to gain a, an advantage over the house by playing with religious uh, ferocity one way uh, and doing it over a long period of time. And the Yankees casino baseball, it's 162 hands, 162 games in the season, is to play to hit home runs and do whatever you have to to hit home runs. And 
you'll win 95 plus games and don't worry about how bad the other games look. And, you know, they, they had that mindset. And one of the things that happened was the ball was flying then. It was a very juiced baseball. I don't think it was on an intentional, but I also don't think it's unintentional that the air came out of it and that that it's now harder to hit homers. And how long do you want to stay in that philosophy, which made you overly right-handed and unathletic and brought players to the team that are big and bulky and likely to get injured? You know, you, you, you have too much of that. It's not a good thing. Your defense is going to struggle. Your injured list is going to grow year to year. I would just point out something right now. Do you know Giancarlo Stanton's homer percentage this year is above his career average? It's above his career average. But he's been hurt again. He's a base clogger. He can't really defend. He's hitting 203 with a career low walk uh, percentage. 6.6 homers, 6.6%. Uh, That's his homer rate. What does he do in the other 93, 94% of the at-bats? The Yankees kind of got away from that. And I wonder if they got locked into that philosophy for too long. Question number two, what's going on with uh, amateur player procurement and then player development? The Yankees haven't had a top 12 pick since they took Derek Jeter in 1992. And I would tell fans to go to baseball reference and go through drafts and see if you don't have a top 10 pick, how hard it is to accrue talent. Nevertheless, the Yankees really have not done a good job in this area, especially when it comes to position players. Who's the best position player that they've drafted who's active right now? Easy, Aaron Judge. Who's number two? Anthony Volpe? Who's number three in that group? Rob Snyder. Who's number four? Josh Smith or Kyle Higashioka? You kind of get the idea. Like, like you've just got to even get to average more often so that you have guys to go to that haven't done that. Internationally, you would think the Yankees have big advantages in every home, right? No brand like the Yankee brand all over the world. And, you know, there's pools, so you can't just spend indiscriminately. But look at what the Astros did for almost very little money. Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, Jose Arquiti, and Framba Valdez. That's almost an entire rotation for less than a couple of hundred thousand dollars that they found. Yankees haven't found anything like that. Among their active players who they signed internationally, the only two who've made all-star games who are active right now are Luis Severino and Gary Sanchez. They signed Sanchez in 2009 and Severino in 2011. And beyond the intake of talent, what are they doing in the minor league level to prepare guys? Are they kind of just playing the exit velocity game with the position players? Are they preparing them to play at a high level the game of baseball? It doesn't look like it when you're watching the Yankees. I think they need to mind the store better. Number three, what's happened with player acquisition? Since the deadline of July, 20, uh, of July 2021, the Yankees have success stories. They, they acquired Clay Holmes at that trade deadline, Anthony Rizzo, Jose Trevino. They paid cash to the Reds for Jake Bowers, who's been a nice little story this year. But the downside is the devastating moves that were made, worst of really of, of Cashman's entire tenure. Joey Gallo, Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kainofalefa. You know, Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino in one trade, a lot of prospects went out the door and a lot of payroll was taken up by mistakes. And like, why didn't the Yankees have better intelligence, spy intelligence I'm talking about on makeups of guys like Gallo and Donaldson? And if they did, why did they ignore it? Uh, why did they have second years with those guys? Here's a big question. Like when I talk about second years with those guys, how long they went with guys like Sanchez, Miguel Andujar, Clint Frazier, Chance Adams, and now Davey Garcia, who was designated for assignment this week. 
Why didn't they see how unnerved Isaiah Kainafalefa was at shortstop last year? Keyword in there is C. There's metrics that show Donaldson hits the ball hard. There were metrics that show that IKF is a good fielder, but you couldn't be watching the game and really believe that. Sometimes you got to put the graph paper away. Four, is there good self-examination going on? This was a team that lost Garrett Whitlock and Trevor Steffen in the Rule 5 draft. You know, are they, are they, they doing the best in areas like mental skills, strength and conditioning, base running, etc.? I'll use the base running one for an example. Last year, the Yankees didn't have Anthony Volpe, who's a very good base dealer, right? They stole 102 bases and were successful 75.4% of the time. This year, that was 15th in the major league, 75.4. This year with Volpe, who's very good at this, they're at 75.6 on pace for 97 steals, which is tw- and they're 25th in the majors in that percentage. Why have they gotten worse when the rules have gotten made it easier to steal a base and with a real base dealer on their roster? This is all part of the Death Star. These are various wings under Brian Cashman. There was a time not long ago when it seemed like most of these areas were humming along pretty well. But I wonder if they've become too entrenched in philosophy and not flexible enough with changes in the game. I wonder if they've become to believe so much that their eyes lie and the metrics tell the truth and that they're missing some blatant stuff right in front of them. I wonder if they become so siloed in their coaching and in their thinking that nobody's looking at the big picture like they need to be looking at it, that they've lost something about the game, the competition. Think about the dynasty Yankees, highly competitive, high baseball IQ. And so I wonder what Hal Steinbrenner should be doing and wondering, is Brian Cashman the guy to put the Death Star back together? Stick with us. We have the other general manager in town, Billy Epler, joining us on the show. Back on the show, and our guest is the general manager of the New York Mets, Billy Epler, who obviously was at the center of the storm during the trade deadline. Nobody moved uh, as big a names or as large a group of players as Billy did. Billy, thank you so much for joining us to kind of assess that trade deadline and kind of give an idea where the Mets are and going forward. And if I was going to begin this with a question, I was just, I, I am curious, when did you have a first inkling this season that it might not be what you had hoped for in spring training when you put this team together? What, what triggered it? Uh, and when was it? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we try to just look at the season in, in, in thirds, but even when you get a little bit more granular than that, you, you kind of look at April, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to replay. You know, we start in Miami and, and, and win that series, go to Milwaukee, um, you know, take it on the chin in Milwaukee, um, come back, play, uh, play Miami again. And the Padres do well, go on the West coast, do a great job on the West coast. And, you know, I think at that point in time, you're, you're thinking like, okay, great. You know, this is, this, this, this feels at our custom level. And, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the bullpen and, and David Robertson was emerging in the, at, at that, at that time. And then, and then we hit May and, and we go in, um, to Detroit and we get swept in Detroit. And then, and then frankly, just, you know, did, didn't play that well, um, during that month. And then that, that, compounded into into June um you know being a being a really poor month I mean there's really no other way to other way to say it and so 
some of the components of of the club and you know when i say components i'm you know talking about position players and starting pitching and and, and the bullpen um you know at any given moment you know uh, some of those those you know those components weren't performing um you know at an accustomed level or um and so and so that just that that kind of left us with a you know a couple different areas where where we had underperformance or we had some holes you know i mean it, we all have talked you know myself or or buck and you and everybody i mean everybody knows what what happened in 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 spring and you know the loss of the loss of edwin and how that you know manifested in a lot of people having to to pitch in different roles or the number of high leverage relievers shrunk um and when you play a number of games in a row that has a cascading effect um so you know to 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 like pinpoint your your question and say like this was that moment in time where there was an epiphany it was it was just kind of a um a, a snowballing effect or compounding effect of some of the circumstances and so you know as we got towards you know the later part of june you know you start thinking to yourself all right is, is there areas that we can you know, help this club, it, you know, it's, it's hard to swing, um, big trades, um, you know, prior to the, prior to the deadline, or even, you know, even, even before the all-star break, um, that doesn't happen very, very often, um, unless you're talking about like money situations, money dump situations. Um, and so, you know, we started to kind of think, you know, if this doesn't turn, how do we be, you know, at our best or, or take advantage of these kind of circumstances to, to some degree that, that none of us wanted to be in, um, you know, and so we had to kind of start thinking through um, what things could, um, what things could, could exist and what things could kind of become a reality while giving the club as much runway, you know, as possible. Um, even, even to the point of after the, after the all-star break, Bill, can you I just know, jump in and, and 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 ask this because you're kind of at a at a at an inflection point? Maybe to give us the mechanics of that, like at what, like who goes to who? Do you have to make a recommendation to Steve Cohn and say, "I think we should sell"? Does Steve Cohn come to you and say, logically, in my kind of business baseball brain, say we should sell? Take us through the mechanics of how you get to a decision to do what you did and go as deep as you did. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, Steve and I talk regularly, so this isn't, you know, we, we didn't have to have some kind of, you know, scheduled meeting to, to talk about strategy. I think it just, it just naturally comes in, in, in pretty much every conversation that we have. Um, and you know, he'll, he'll ask really good questions about how we're thinking about things and, um, you know, what, what we might be looking to achieve in the, in the, in the short term. And so as we were having some discussions, frankly, right around our draft time, um, you know, the thought of, you know, what position do we need to be in, um, before we start looking for, for opportunities, what position, like, what do our odds need to be look like, or what, you know, of, of the games, you know, we were going to play the Dodgers, the White Sox, the Red Sox, you know, how many of those did we want to bank? How many wins did we need to bank there? Um, and then, you know, also recognizing the teams that were in front of us and, um, you know, weighing in the, weighing in, you know, their strength and schedule, our strengths and schedule. So, you know, these, these conversations just, you know, happen pretty regularly. Um, and when the opportunity, uh, or I should say when the, you know, kind of the events of, of, you know, post white Sox, red Sox kind of took place. It was at that, at that time where we were going to start, you know, seeing if there would be interest and, and just looking opportunistically at what, 
um, at what that exactly could look like. It wasn't a uh, approach of we need to move this player, this player, this player. It was let's see if there's uh, you know a way to enhance the longer term goal of the organization. And we set a bar pretty high. Um, you know, and I had talked about that um, even after the, the the Robertson deal that we were not going to um, we were not going to you know liquidate or sell all pieces and you know look to reposition or um you know save money that, that you know some teams do we were going to you know set a high bar have high standards um for what came back in, in these deals and then evaluate it and so you know because because you know what we're faced with Joel at that time is like pretty consequential decisions right and so you know the the like the matrix of decision making is you know approaching the decisions as are they reversible or not reversible and then are they consequential or not consequential and this was something that wasn't reversible and it had some consequences behind it and so we needed to evaluate our situation honestly um create a strategy set a high bar and see if it can be executed on and what could be executed on um and so so that that's kind of you know how we unpacked it all um and you know hopefully g- gives you a little bit of a lens into 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 how we got to where we are now Bill, you mentioned the uh the the big picture goal and me and both you and steve has in some way suggested that their jobs should be judged by if you put together that kind of world-class uh farm system feeder system that brings in quality players to the major league roster on a regular basis, gives you the equipment to make trades at any level uh, on a regular basis. The big picture question I would ask, and you know, is, and I'm don't mean to be insulting, is like anybody, if I were gonna pick the prospects, I would get it wrong. I don't know it. Why do you believe like your history with with the Angels? You didn't like there, that's not great drafts, right? You've had a couple of drafts with the Mets. Like, what makes you feel that the model and the process you have in place is two good drafts so far and a good process here that the prospects you got for Scherzer, Verlander, Robertson are guys who are going to really make a difference for the Mets? I mean, look, it's probabilistic. You know, that's why um, the players at the minor league level, you know, whether you're, you know, paying for them, if they're, um, you know, like, you know, international players that are coming into the, into the marketplace, um, you know, or if they're players that are, that are acquired through, through trades or through drafting, it's all probabilistic. And so if we're, you know, paying down um, a player to a certain extent um, and pulling, um, you know, pulling the prospect back, that's the investment that's put in that, in that prospect. It's, it's still not to the level that, um, you know, a player with maybe a similar um uh, a similar forecast at the major league level would cost. So if you know player A at the major league level is gonna cost us, you know, $80 million, $100 million, if we can get um a prospect that maybe costs us $25 million in a buy-down or $20 million in a buy-down, but we see the 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 potential that that player could become a hundred million dollar player or an $80 million player, like it's it's just all it's all like a, a probabilistic kind of calculation, and so some of the some of the prospects that we acquired will will pan out, and some will not. 
but it's the opportunities and and like the number of bites in an apple that you're kind of looking for um, in that equation or in, in that calculus. And so um, while like, you know, we can go through any club's drafts or any club's trades and, and see certain things that, that, uh, that have happened um, and uh, you know, point to successes and also point to point to things that didn't work out. And that's uh, you know, that's just the probabilistic nature of, of our game. Billy at the, uh, end of this process, you, uh, in, a, I think, a couple of different interview settings, and I think Steve Cohn did the same thing, suggested that the team's playoff odds will not be as good in 2024 as they were going into, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, going into both 2022 and 2023. Can you, uh, there's been some question about what that means. Uh, are you an also-ran? Are you a contender? How much will you fight for it? I'm wondering if you could frame what you mean by that and what what level of quality you expect your 2024 team to be yeah i mean we've talked about this a little bit with um uh you know after the scherzer trade after the verlander the verlander deal is you know we we intend to have a competitive team in 2024 and um that is not a season that we're punting um now we did frame it um in an accurate way where you know, our 2022 odds, um, you know, walking into that season, we're anywhere between, you know, um, you know, if you, if you look outside um, to, to like, you know, get an outside view, there's anywhere between 88 and 90 wins. Right. And that that's taking into account, like, what do the sports books say? What is, what is, what does the post say? What does the athletics say? What, what like all these different sources that we just kind of take the wisdom of the crowd and we look at that. And then we look at that for 2023, you know, and I, I tend to, you know, take a peek of that. Um, I mean, we have our own internal projections, but that you can be a little riddled with happy talk when it comes to that stuff. And, uh, you know, everybody looking through rose colored glasses. So, all right, let's take the outside view and and looking at that, you know, going into this year. Um, so what we're trying to what we're trying to articulate or how we're framing to 2024 is, you know, we're probably not walking in with the same odds or the same win total over under expectations that we did in 2022, 2023. But that doesn't mean that we won't be a competitive club. That won't mean um, that we're not going to uh, put a product on the field that 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 we can stand behind and and, and feel good about. Um, so I think it's just you know trying to frame a little bit of of uh, you know how we want to approach the winter time and some of the transactions and how we always want to be mindful of you know building players internally um, and enhancing um, you know that that farm system to to get to that that blueprint in the future where we have sustained success can put together a perennial uh, uh, playoff contending team. Billy, did you present it in the uh, least rosy possibility to especially Scherzer and later Verlander? Because ultimately the big picture thing was you wanted to get as many prospects for them and wanted them to agree uh, to waive their no trade. So you could do, so you could do this. No, I needed to be com completely honest with them. Um, and again, like I said, with my discussion with Max or just players in general, like I'm going to keep that, private. Um, I think that's important for trust in, in our relationships. Like if I'm asking for a player for insight um, into something or, or to give me what they're thinking about, you know, I want to, um, or maybe be vulnerable, you know, that that's just going to hinder my relationship moving forward. Um, and so I want to, I want to keep that, that private, but um, you know, just in general, like I'll, I'll be very honest, um, you know, with, with players and, and, you know, especially players like, that have, you know, levers or mechanisms in their, in their contract to kind of 
you know, chart their own course a little bit. Um, I want them to get a, a full view of the picture um, because, you know, you don't want to be in a circumstance where they think one thing should happen or shouldn't happen. And then that does, you know, that that's why they built those, those levers in, the, in their contracts or their agents built those levers in their contracts. So um, I just, I want to be very transparent when it comes to that. You know, because uh, Billy, when I look at, I wrote this in the post, I, I think, Look, I, I I can't believe from what I've gotten to know about Steve Cohn that he's ever going to punt any season. Doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's just going to say, let's cough and corner it. You guys could dominate the one and two year market if he's willing to keep the payroll high. And I think I could sell to Scherzer and Verlander or whoever. Like, we're going to re-sign David Robertson or someone like him. Diaz is coming back. We, we could get, here's the list of players we could possibly get on one and two year contracts. By the way, the Phillies were went to the World Series as wild card. Why couldn't it be us next year? I, it, I I don't think your 2024 is quite as bleak as kind of like there's a public perception. And I just wonder, could that have been sold to Scherzer and Verlander stick around because it's not that bleak? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, th- those guys are going to unpack the um, you know unpack the conversation and 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 kind of think through um, you know what the what the circumstances are and like what the outlook is and, and they'll, they'll make, they'll make the call. But um, again, I just wanted to, you know, be, you know, kind of be, be transparent and, and, and answer any questions that they had. So, you know, I think that, you know, we'll, we'll go into this winter, um, you know, with a strategy and, uh, and, you know, see how we come out the other side. But again, we, we will have a competitive club in 2024. Billy, I, I assume most of this is you just try to get the best prospect available, but I think we'd all probably agree on some level that the area of need in your organization depth-wise was pitching close to the major league level, especially. And the best of teams of what you got in this prospect hall were positional guys. How do you get to the point where your feeder system is bringing you young quality pitching on a regular basis? I mean, look to acquire it where we can, you know, and I mean, in the, in the, in the Mark Canna deal, you know, we were able to, to, to pull back a pitcher. Um, it wasn't a, uh, uh, like a strategy to, to stay away from pitching. Um, in fact, if, you know, if we, you know, thinking about this, you know, in more of like a value proposition, if, if we're thinking about the value of a, of a player to be, to be X, it's a position player and a pitcher right next to each other. We would, we would lean towards the pitcher. Um, if the value proposition is maybe like X minus 10, um, and that, that's, that's, you know, that's the, that's the pitcher equivalent, um, and the position players at X, well, I don't know if X minus 10 is the right, is the right call, um, at, at that juncture. And so that's a little how we kind of think about it. Um, but you know, in our conversations, um, in an our talent identification process, um, you know, it's kind of run through our scouting department and our player personnel department and our analytics group. If we weren't going to force the shot for, for a pitcher, um, but if it, if it was there and things were equal or close to equal, um, you know, maybe would have pivoted in that direction. You know, Billy, one of the uh, 2000 pound rhinoceros in the room is the question about, you know, Steve has mentioned he's going to hire a president of baseball operations. Uh, David Stearns, his name is hung out there now for a couple of years, and he is one of the big free agents this offseason. I wonder just a two part thing. Do you think how the team has played this year impacts at all how your boss thinks about your job and the need to get someone else? And are you comfortable that you're going to keep your current job with some real power if and when he does 
bring in someone else. Okay. Yeah. So the, well, the first part of that question um, is no, I don't think that that, um, you know, what, what Steve was talking about, I don't think that was colored by 2023 um, because that was something that we talked about uh, before I even, you know, ended up, excuse me, sorry. That was something that we talked about even before I ended up taking the, taking the position here um, that, you know, and, and as I've kind of gotten to know Steve, um, you know, in that time period since, you know, late November of, of 2021, you know, um, I think I, you know, understand how he views and looks at the world, um, you know, and he appreciates, um, you know, systems and process and and kind of an evidence-based way of implementing decisions and direction. Um, and that makes sense to me. Um, it, it, it's how you can really improve and you know you have to kind of you have to kind of understand and formalize the process at which you make a decision so that you can like iterate off of it and and, and improve that in for the future and that's like that's the philosophical uh, um kind of approach and and one that that uh, resonates with me and and one that I'm that I believe in and so my goal for the Mets um is to be successful and to have a sustained winner over time and as far as is a president of uh, baseball ops. And I look at that through the same lens. You know, if we have an opportunity to enhance leadership um, and help this organization be more successful, I'm going to embrace it. And, you know, um, you know, speaking specifically, like I, 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 I've been around team sports my entire life. Um, like, you know, before I was, you know, 10 years old, like, I mean, first grade, second grade, like spending time at Chargers training camp um, and a lot of my um, experiences in life and um, have been being part of a team um, and working towards a common goal and challenging each other and adding more talent to an organization um, is only going to be a good thing for this place. Um, and so, you know, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, that's, um, you know, I think that's the, that that's the right thing to do, and uh, you know, when that comes and and when that happens, we'll we'll ultimately be governed by you know the you know the opportunities that exist to 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 bring in high talented, high caliber individuals. So, um, I, including I've, above, including a title above you, you're comfortable with that if it improves the team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so like, and I've been a, a part of the process, or I've been involved, and I've been having the, the conversations with Steve on this, and so. Um, this is like, you know, kind of like, you know, to get corny with the acronym, like together, everybody achieves more, but like, that's what being part of a team is all about. And, uh, I embrace it. And if it's going to help this organization and we, like I said, we're bringing in, you know, high caliber, um, individuals, like we're all going to be better off for it. That's my memory that I actually pay attention when you talk to me, you went to Chargers camp, but Ernie Zampezi was a family friend, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was a well-known offensive coordinator in the seventies and eighties, right? And nineties, uh, early. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he, um, uh, he meant every, I mean, he passed away, um, within the last year, but he, yeah, he meant everything to me. I'm not in, I'm not in pro sports without his influence and just, um, kind of my admiration for, for him and, and, uh, you know, his family and how, um, yeah, I'm still, you know, my best friend of this day is his son. And so, um, yeah, no, he's, uh, he meant a lot. And that was just my exposure to like, you know, um, you know, getting yelled at by coach Coriel for crashing a golf cart or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, that was, uh, those were really good. Those were really good, uh, good moments in my, in my childhood. 
Yeah, it was just a humble brag by, by me to prove that I actually pay attention when you talk to me, Billy. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, uh, we asked about your situation. How much of what's gone wrong this year is the manager, is Buckshaw Walters' fault? I mean, Steve, Steve talked about this, like this, this is on, this is on, on, on the players. I mean, the players play and, you know, like we had times where, like I said, some of the components weren't clicking at at any given time. And so, you know, I I like Buck, he's not afraid to be vulnerable. Um, He'll provide an opinion, uh, but he also doesn't lose sight of the overarching, you know, goal of the organization. And he just, he's worn so many hats um that he really has a good view of um you, you know the organization kind of you know at, at its entirety um rather than in just his um in just his domain and so you know at, at the end of the day like what we have to be able to do is we have to be able to provide every support um that we can for our players um and we have to be able to to put them in a position where they're the best versions of themselves and optimize them and and challenge them with with you know, new ways of doing things or new strategies or um, taking little risks and 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 um, experimenting at times. And so, um, as long as we're supporting them um, and the and that the players feel supported, then I then I think that you know we'll we'll get where we want to go. So he's your manager in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I mean, Steve's talked about this uh, and he's discussed it in his most most recent media session. So, um, you know, we we signed Buck to a, a three year deal. And like I said, I like him um, and I, I, I've i worked well with him. Yeah, my nine cents is I actually think the kind of team you're going to have next year is the kind of team that Buck manages best. Um, Brett Beatty, you just sent him down. Uh, he was clearly one of the better prospects in the sport, viewed as one of the better prospects in the sport. It didn't work well on either side of the ball. Uh, in the major leagues. What do you think happened? What is the future for this player? Yeah, I mean, we believe in Brett's ability. Um, and that that view has not changed. And, um, you know, I think the best way forward for him today is in AAA, um, where he can um, feel a little bit more freedom uh, to try things, to try things in the batter's box, uh, to try things defensively. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe hunt pitches or, um, get in certain situations where he's, where he's maybe looking to ambush, um, a particular pitch and, uh, you know, get out in front and get it airborne and, uh, and on the defensive side, you know, giving him the freedom to kind of play loose, play free, um, you know, throw from multiple arm slots, uh, you know, and just take some chances and, you know, Brett cares uh, a lot. And I think sometimes, um, you know, that that desire um, and that drive, I mean, he's the son of a coach. Um, and so, you know, he's got a very big team mindset. And I think that, you know, with some maybe more seasoned pitchers on the mound and things like that, like you, you get yourself into a, a situation where you're trying to not make a mistake rather than trying to just like, you know, play with your hair on fire, play loose and, and like, and take some chances and let's see what happens. And, um, you know, so, so getting him, you know, a little bit of time down there, like, like a timeout, um, you know, I think was, it was important at this time and, and then just getting the feedback from, you know, the hitting coaches and the infield coaches, um, and, and setting some objectives that are, that are, you know, measurable and achievable, um, will be important for him. And, and, you know, hopefully he's not down, long um but uh you know that'll you know a lot of that's up to him um but he's got a really good head on his shoulders we had a really good conversation yesterday 
Um, I'll be following up with him later on today. And um, I just want to make make sure we stay, stay, stay invested there because Brett's a big part of our future. Will he be the Buck Showalter's third baseman next year? <laughs> Let's get you see Let's you see what I did there with Buck Showalter also. That was yeah, kind of yeah. like a Let's double just, down on it. Yeah. Let's just get let's just get through. Let's just do our jobs right now. Let's just we'll, we'll focus on now. Look, one of the big questions, certainly a lot of your fans have asked and uh, media has asked you, is about who's not here uh, among your close to the major league prospects, and that's Ronnie Maurizio. Uh, you know, the other guys have at least gotten cups of coffee or more. The Alvarez thing has obviously worked out very well on both sides of the ball this year. Why, why is Ronnie Maurizio not not part of what's clearly now, uh, at least for the rest of this season, uh, let's see what we have for the future? Yeah. By the way, did you make him Italian? Maurizio? Oh, right. Maurizio, uh, how, how do you want to say it? Uh, it's just a part of Brooklyn I was born in. A lot, lot, lot of Italian. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just got to return serve every once in a while. Yes. Joel, okay? we're, we're good. It's ping pong. We'll go back and forth. I, I, hey, if I'm going to play, I got to accept that someone else is going to play also. Um, so on Ronnie, like, you know, there, there's just still some some things that we want to see, uh, both on the offensive side and defensive side with him. And, you know, I talked about this a little bit, you know, at, kind of post um, Robertson, Scherzer, Verlander, you know, my, my sessions with the media there is like, you know, I don't want to put somebody in a position um, with all the lights, all the focus um, and everything on them, unless, you know, they're banging the door down. And, um, you know, on the offensive side and the defensive side, there's still things that that we want to see. And he's a young talented you know thoroughbred um but we also want to just be mindful of the stage here um and and uh, kind of the gravity and the responsibility that kind of comes with that and uh you know remain open-minded uh to uh to adding him in the future but um still just just need to see um you know more more of the objectives um or more of those boxes boxes checked before we uh before we go down that path uh billy are you comfortable with why there's been so much widespread regression by so many players this year i'm sure there's a lot of individual stories not one story on mcneil and Marte, scherzer when he was here adovino uh a few others uh for sure Wh- why did this happen all at once to a team that was very good last year yeah um that's that's kind of been you know, I don't think there's one answer for that. I mean, that's that's been the thing that um, I think keeps a number of us up at night or, or um, you know, um, doesn't really, you know, bode for a really good night's sleep. Um, and it's just, it, I wish there was one answer, but there's not. Um, you know, teams deal with injuries um, and, you know, but but to your point, I mean, there's there's a number of players that didn't didn't perform to like their their 50th percentile um, or their custom level and haven't been in line with, with maybe what was, what was, what was expected at the start of the year. And so, you know, some of the things have been reinforced by old adages, right. You know, oh, you never have enough pitching, um, you know, but we want to just, we want to, you know, continue to kind of optimize that pitching group through pitch design and usage and locations and, you know, um, and, and so, you know, I, I think like, I think with a, with a number of these guys, um, 
I think they were hitting the the general like ebb and flow almost at the almost at the same time um, where it, it if one or two in a lineup are going through it, um, that's sustainable. Especially like you know if you look at the the 2022 team, the 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 length of the lineup. It, you know, look, we have stars on our team, but it wasn't like one or two people just carrying a club. Um, there was contributions top to bottom, and there was like this relentless kind of attack and um and so when you have that like if one or two are are kind of underperforming for you know a given time that's you, you know you can guard against that um but when it becomes a bigger population simultaneously harder to recover you know um add to that starting pitching either not going as deep or having its own inconsistencies or injuries uh, and it just created a compounding effect. Um, and then, you know, you start to, you start to wonder like, how much are they wearing this? Um, and how, how are they, you know, navigating through this as a, as a group and as a unit? Um, and so, you know, I, I'd love to be able to give you like one reason, um, you know, and, you know, I, I've appreciated the contributions of, of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the guys, and um and and some of the new the players that have come in um you know have done have done well and um but but to but to identify one one reason that this you know turned the way it turned um i i i, I think it'd be satisfying for for me and you and everybody um if there's if there's one reason but i i, I just think it's um you know it's it's a mixture of of events and circumstances yeah. As as a way to wrap up, Billy, um, with a question. Look, I, I do appreciate and respect the ping pong. You know, it's easy to come on when the team wins 101. Uh, this is a tougher time to come on. And I don't just say it as road. I appreciate you going uh, deep into all this and doing doing all the explanation. So the last question I was to ask you is, like, look, Met fans are obviously very disappointed. They They really believed in this group that it would be it. What would you say to suggest that tomorrow is going to be better for this franchise with something sustained and successful? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I'm actually really glad you asked it. Um, Cause I got asked the question is sitting beyond home plate in Binghamton this weekend. I went up there. I mean, there's know. just some guy in Binghamton who could be doing this podcast instead of me. Jesus. Thanks, Billy. That's, that's, <laughs> so so yeah. I, I went there and, and uh, yeah, I got asked, I got asked that question. Uh, maybe not framed that exact way, Joel. Okay, you're quite a wordsmith. So, um, but, but um, uh, you know, I think that you know while while what while what we did um, over over the deadline um, was hard on um, a lot of people, me included, um, and and the people in the clubhouse and players and what we were able to 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 do and the talent that we were able to bring in into the organization you know might have taken two to three draft cycles uh to accomplish and being able to grab you know prospects that are at double a um high you know high a double a um even triple a level you know shrinks a little bit of that development ladder down really enhances and and kind of like helps expedite you know, the, the, the blueprint of, of where we want to go. And we don't want to endure, you know, five, six, seven years, you know, when you, you, we play against some clubs that, um, you know, have gone through long periods of, of darkness 
in order to round out a uh, a player pool, a young player pool, um, and a strong farm system. And and that that's not what we want to endure. We want to be able to to execute on that quicker. Um, we want to be able to be aggressive um, and repurpose Steve's investment in the team um, in order to do that. And so, you know, what I would what I would take away is a, a couple things. One, um, you know, having Steve a, as as an owner, um, if I was a fan of this team, um, you should feel pretty lucky um, because the willingness to invest, take chances um you know is 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 evident in his into the day to day um and his you know his outlook of the club and then um at the same token being able to bring in that high end talent that's closer to the big leagues to round out you know the last couple of drafts like you you alluded to whether that's the Paradas and the Williams and and Tidwells and i mean even even you know Tyler Stewart and Christian Scott and um, you know, a number of the, Mike Vassels and, and a number of the players that are here um, should make should make the, the the fan base and our supporters, you know, feel good about what the future looks like, knowing that they'll have an owner that's going to continue to invest in this club, um, both at the major league level and in the infrastructure and some of the things that he's alluded to that that aren't quite as recognizable and aren't quite as noticeable, um, but uh, but are still <laughs> critically important. Um, to executing on on the future, uh, I think that should that should make people feel good. Well, Billy, I always appreciate our conversations. They're usually one on one on a phone call or in person. We get to share it with the world a little here. Uh, I always enjoy doing it. I always feel uh, kind of insightfully nourished by it. So, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, no problem, Joel. Good to uh, good to connect and uh, appreciate the time, bud. This is normally the part of the show where John and I play here for error. Uh, oftentimes we take opposite viewpoints. John's not here this week. And I, I just think there's an easy error. It's kind of the talking point in Major League Baseball right now. And it's about the suspension of Kevin Brown, uh, one of the announcers who does Oriole games. Uh, if you saw, uh, he said pretty benign stuff about how the Orioles uh, have won more games at uh, the Trop at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg against the Rays this year than he had they had in the last couple of years, and somehow for that benign and I would think somewhat positive statement, he was suspended. Uh, the belief is by the ownership of the Orioles, the Angeloses, or one Angelos in particular. And look, I, I I'm here to say how ridiculous this is. It's one of the things that worries me about when uh, about who owns what and what gets said. Uh, and just how much free speech there is and what gets crushed along the way. And I saw a lot of people come out about this and say things like, well, it was it was in the game notes. The Orioles management itself is putting in the game notes what their record was in Tropicana Field or a producer for the TV segment said, like, 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 put a graphic up about it as a way to kind of like uh, mitigate it. Well, say those things didn't exist. It's just a fact. He just said a fact on the air. And by the way, say he had been a little incendiary about it. Say he had said something that did cross the rightfully may have crossed the ownership in some way. Is this what this ownership really wants to be known for? Somebody who's qualified to do their job can say one or two sentences that offends them and they're going to be suspended or lose their job. Is that the chill that this organization really wants to place over 
in, in a country where free speech is supposed to be at the very heart of what we do, are this, this thin skin, it's, it should be unacceptable. And so to me, there's two things that has to, have to be done here. Whoever made this decision, don't hide behind someone else. Don't let someone else be the fall person. Come out and make this a 24 or 48 hour story. The cover up is always, uh, always very often worse than the crime. Just come out and say, we overreacted. This was a bad job by us. We should have not done this in this way. This, this broadcaster, Kevin Brown, didn't do anything wrong. We did something wrong. And then the second thing is realize that you've stepped on the Orioles, who are as good a baseball story as there is this year. The, guy, the guy's on the field. And the likelihood is they're going to be very good for the next few years. And that means there's going to be a lot of scrutiny of the team, both local and national, in a way that the Orioles haven't had it for a while. Because I'll say this to the Orioles' ownership. You were tanking. You were purposely losing baseball games. That's why you were bad at places like St. Petersburg at the Trop, right? But now you're going to be paid attention to. And the second thing you could do here is learn the lesson. You got to let this stuff bounce off of you, especially when it's just a true fact. Your team is about to be a big deal. Don't be little people to a big deal. Anyway, uh, next week, John will be back and joining us on the show. It's a podcast from the New York Post. I always appreciate all the work, especially this week when I'm alone, that Jake Brown and Andrew Hartz do in navigating us through each show as our producers. Don't forget, the show drops every Wednesday on the Yes app. Give it a view. Please rate, review, uh, download our show, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts. And please continue to join us each week on the show with Joel Sherman and in the future again, John Hayman.